Well, um, I mentioned earlier that um, last night when I was so fatigued, uh, I told Donna, I don't even feel like going to church tomorrow. Uh, but I, I, one thing that always is kind of in the, the forefront of my mind, which is why it's emblazoned on our wall back here that motivates me. First Samuel 2.30, those who honor me, I will honor. And so you might, you might say to yourself, well, Andy, it's because you're the pastor. You have to be there. <laughs> Folks, I, I had that commitment long before I ever became a pastor. I was honoring the house of God as a, as a, as a weekly thing long before I ever became a pastor, which may be one of the reasons why God entrusted me to become a pastor. He, he would not have entrusted me to become a pastor if I would just treat his house and his church haphazardly, right? But also, uh, we have a treat today with a George uh, and... Uh, did I call you George? That was the name. That's the first name of uh, my seminar speaker that I that I hosted yesterday, Doctor Doctor George Nikoloff. So that's part of why I'm so tired. Um, no, um, Bob and Sylvia, you were. Did I pronounce your name correctly? Say Ewert, like email, Ewert. Ewert. I think it's just easier to say Indiana Bob. Yeah. So I'll let him uh, explain how he got the, the nickname Indiana Bob. But that's another reason why, you know, even if I wasn't a pastor, I would be here to receive from the man of God and honor the man of God and what, his preparations because he is the, the man that God has sent to us this morning. And the scriptures tell us that uh, if you even give a cup of water to a prophet, you will, you will receive a prophet's reward. You support the man of God, you're going to share in the reward of the man of God. That's what the Bible said. Isn't that cool? You just show up. You just show up and contribute a little bit and, and, and bless the man of God and you get a reward. Isn't that cool? You didn't have to prepare anything. He did all the preparation, him and God. And you just, you come in and you, you get in on it by just by being here and, and contributing. By the way, on that note, we are going to take up a second offering at the end of service. Uh, we, you gave your tithes and offerings uh, generously just now, but we always like to send away the people that come to minister here with a generous gift. L listen, we just got, got done doing a series on generosity. Now's the time to exercise it. <laughs> Yes, yes. Hey, it's not, we don't just preach philosophy here. We don't just preach, you know, concepts. We practice the Word of God. So uh, uh, prepare an offering. Bob, come on up, brother. Let me just pray over you real quick. And yeah, go ahead and give him a, a hand. Father, I want to thank you for this man of God and his wife, Sylvia. We just uh, pray a, a blessing over him, O oh Lord. Uh, he's come a long way to be able to minister to, to us. I'm sure he's tired, too, because of the ministry that he's been involved in uh, on Friday evening and all day yesterday. So I pray that you, you would revive him physically, emotionally, and especially spiritually right now. I pray the same thing I pray for myself on Sunday mornings before I speak, that as Bob opens his mouth, that you would fill it with words of life. And Lord, I pray that um, he and Sylvia would probably agree with this prayer, that they would, uh, like John the Baptist prayed, that they would decrease so that you would increase, Lord, and that uh, you would have your way here today, Lord, and that we would not just be hearers, Lord, but that we would be doers 
of your word, and we thank you for what you're about to serve up through the man and woman of God. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Well, it's great to be here this morning. Um, I'll tell you why. I'm Indiana Bob. I woke up about five years ago, and the Lord said, change your name on Facebook. And uh, the reason being that I go to communist countries to preach the gospel, and it's just one way for them not to find me on Facebook, because I talk about Jesus all the time, and communist countries don't like evangelists. Um, Sylvia and I have been married for uh, 44 years, and I can only, you know, for the men in the room, you know, our wives want us to remember how long we've been married and our anniversary dates. I got married when I was 20, and I'm 64, so I know I've been married for 44 years. Uh, we have three daughters and four grandchildren, and they're all saved. They're all happily married. Praise God for that. Sylvia is a retired administrator from Ball State University. She retired two years ago, and she was complaining last year that I make her work more than Ball State did. I said, you got to take, take that up with God. Uh, she, helps, uh, she helps me be successful by being a very good, detailed person. Um, praise God for that. I'm an evangelist. When I was um, nine years old, I was at a, my parents took me to a Billy Graham film and I got saved. And uh, <clears throat> um, by God's grace, I personally led over 2,000 people to the Lord in shopping stores. And um, I've trained over 400 people and collectively in, in, in my meetings, over 16,000 people have been saved. I've seen over 1,000 people get healed. Um, I, I function in a high gift of healing. And uh, sometimes I function as a prophet, as the Lord um, gives me stuff. Um, and Pastor Andy and Donna, thank you for letting me come and speak here today. Um, as the offering was being taken, the Lord said, by next October, you will be in your new building. Whatever that means, but that's what I heard. And I'm like, Lord, don't make me a false prophet. I said, Is, did, did I hear you correctly? And I saw like a false celebration, like, I don't know, some kind of hayride and wiener roast, and it was fun. So, and, and you were celebrating the grand opening of your new building, whatever that means. I don't know if you're renting or building, I don't know, but praise God. Um, and just, and just for the record, a couple of years ago, there was a big Methodist church in uh, a town really close to Muncie named Selma Methodist Church. I don't know if anybody has a connection there, but I was praying in my house one day, and I had a vision of them building a new sanctuary. So I called the pastor, and I, I said, I got a word for you. He says, can't you tell me on the phone? And I said, no, I got to talk to you. And I went to see him, and I told him what the Lord showed me, and he grabbed my arm and dragged me down the hall, and there was this big architectural drawing of their potential new sanctuary. Here's the power of prophecy. Within three months, a businessman who builds factories calls the pastor, and he says, Pastor, I was going to build this factory, and I have these, these big beams that go across, right? That's the most important, most expensive piece of building a big building. He said, I, I've been paid for these, these building, these, what is that called? Beams, cross beams. And he said, the company went bankrupt, but they're mine. They're, these beams are mine. It's not my fault. 
and they said they're mine. I have a legal document. These beams are mine. I want to give them to your church. That's the power of the word of the Lord. So I was preaching in Kenya last summer, and um, they had been building this new church by hand, brick by brick, and I'm preaching away, and all of a sudden I blurt out, and by the end of the year, there'll be a roof on that building. I'm like, oh, who said that? <laughs> so part of prophecy is blurting things out. Uh, by the grace of God, I was able to raise the money and put that roof on that, and uh, so praise God for that. Um, I've been on over 20 mission trips and uh, been to Russia six times, started six churches there. They're still going six times to Cuba. Around 10,000 people got saved in Cuba, and they have an amazing program of follow-up because people always ask me, how do you do follow-up? Been to Peru several times, just went to Trinidad and Spain, and uh, last, last summer in Kenya was amazing. We got to speak in all these high schools, and about three-quarters of the kids in all these high schools got saved. We were just amazed. Uh, and I asked the, the teachers, is this real or is this, why, why? Like, I was shocked. I'm like, if they're that open to the gospel, how come it didn't happen sooner, you know? But she said it was real. The teacher said it was real. And uh, I would ask people, um, and I'm going to do that right now for you. If you have any physical pain on your body, Put your, if you can appropriately put your hand where you hurt um, without being awkward where you're sitting, um, we're going to pray for healing. We had over 400 people get healed when I prayed this prayer like this. So if you have any pain, we're just going to believe God for, for supernatural healing. And if you need to get up to move around to test it, then feel free to do that. Okay? And then please, if you get healed, come and tell Andy and Donna after the service because we want to give God the glory. There was a couple of people that got some rotator cuffs healed yesterday, and there was uh, somebody who had neuropathy in their feet. They got healed. Uh, I just want you to know that God is still in the healing business. And at the end of my sermon, I will also lay hands on people. When I was in Kenya, I would have them do what we're going to do, and then if they still didn't get healed, they would come forward, and I would lay hands on them. And uh, there was one lady that had fallen out of a tree and she was literally dragging her leg when she came up and she walked normal back to her seat. Another girl fell off her motorcycle and she was dragging the other leg and they came up beside each other. So it was the most, you don't wanna laugh at cripples, but uh, these two, they're, between the two of them, they're both dragging, they walked back to their seat perfectly healed. So praise the Lord. So put your hand where you hurt in Jesus' name. I bind and cast out a spirit of trauma. I bind and cast out a spirit of infirmity. I break any generational curse that's in, in it, impacting that sickness. And I command the, the body part to be healed right now. Headaches go. Any cancer go in Jesus' name. Any neuropathy go in Jesus' name. Any carpal tunnel go in Jesus' name. I see a knee that's swollen be healed in Jesus' name. I see backache, I command the backs to be healed in Jesus' name. I see somebody with a heart flutter, I command that heart to be healed in Jesus' name. Okay, everybody that, that needs healing, take a big breath and blow it out. Just blow it out. And just, if you need to move around and test, just, just go ahead and do that. So, um, 
We're actually going to make a t-shirt with this design. That's why I had it on my phone. Else, and I thought, man, I wonder if they can throw that up. That's the title of my sermon today, Born Again to Race Heaven. You know the world sings that song, Born to be Wild. I'm not a singer, okay? Uh, but we are born again to raise heaven. So this has become... This has become kind of a catchphrase in my ministry. And I'll be preaching away and I'll say, come on, we got to raise heaven. Yeah. And people get excited about that. And so praise the Lord. Um, in, in 1 Peter 1, 14 and 16, it says, As obedient children, not conforming yourself to your former lusts, as in your ignorance, but as he who has called you is holy, you also be holy in all your conduct. So that's, that's the scripture that backs up what raising heaven means, to be holy and to impart holiness into our communities. Thank God that you're a praying church and against all that nonsense that you were talking about that the world is trying to do. If we don't stand up, if we don't raise up, if we don't raise heaven, they will take us the other place. So holiness is the opposite of being wild and sinful. Holiness is a call to the surrendered life in Christ Jesus. Holiness is what Jesus died for. And holiness is what we should strive for. Repeatedly in the Bible, it says, only those who are holy can come into the presence of God. The Apostle Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5, 14 and 15, for the love of Christ compels us because we are convinced that if one died for all, then all died. And he died for all, that those who live should live no longer for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. So that's our call, that we would live for Jesus. The Apostle Paul tells us to purposefully live for Jesus, because the love of Christ is motivating you. The, I've been blessed to have had some encounters with Jesus. A couple of years ago, I had a vision of people going to hell, and it was probably only a 15-second vision, but I cried for 45 minutes afterwards. I told God, I will do anything. I will go anywhere. Just use me. And for, for that whole next year, I would just, you know, I don't know if anybody likes home improvement shows. There's so much junk on TV. I, I pretty much only watch sermons, worship, or home improvement shows. And if there's any weird stuff on it, I quickly shut it off and don't watch that particular episode. But um, <clears throat> so at the end, they're revealing the beautiful new house. And I started weeping again. And I, God's got me thinking, of, like we, Jesus said, I go to prepare a place for you. And we think about this, somehow we believe we're going to get some kind of mansion in heaven. Now, who knows what heaven looks like? But I've had so many people tell me that they've had dreams and visions of heaven and they have an, their ideal, like one, one farmer told me he was going to have the best farm in heaven. Like he was just so convinced. Another farmer was into horses and he's like, I got a horse farm in heaven. God showed me it. And I'm like, okay, maybe that's true. I don't know. But anyways, I'm watching this home improvement show and it's the most beautiful house. And I'm like, this would be the one that me and Sylvia would really like to have. And then I start crying because I'm thinking of all the people who are not going to heaven. 
and I'm wrecked for the next 45 minutes and just repenting and, and you know, because I'm lazy or I'm not doing enough and people think I actually do quite a bit. So, um, you know, it's just, but I was just like, God, I want to do more. I want to win more. I want to win more. And um, interestingly, as I've been traveling and doing seminars and raising up more leaders, as I'm raising up more people to do evangelism, I've stopped the lately the last couple of times. I used to, if I would go on the street, somebody would get saved. Yesterday, I'm with a team, and I didn't lead a person to the Lord, but somebody else on my team did. And, and that's a good thing, that more people are doing it. So I want to talk a little bit about practically raising heaven. In Ephesians chapter 4, the Apostle Paul lists a whole bunch of things that pertain to the sinful old life before we got saved. And he strongly says we shouldn't be doing any of that. In, verse, in chapter 4, verse 17, if you want to follow along, I'm not going to read the scripture, I'm just going to preach what it says. But you can look at it if you want. Paul says that unbelievers, their understanding is darkened, they are alienated from God, their hearts are blinded, their feelings are thwarted, and they give themselves to lewdness, uncleanness, and greediness. In verse 22, Paul says, we are to be renewed in our minds. And one of my favorite verses is Romans 12 too. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Um, Andy, I don't know if this is true for you, but as, as a leader, people come up to you and they want prayer. And it's almost like they think the prayer is like putting a bag of popcorn in the microwave. And Andy's prayer is like pushing the button and the prayer is just going to solve your problem. You see, people are like that sometimes. They think they could just a quick prayer by the pastor and I'll be good. You know what? Be transformed by the renewing of your mind by the word of God. I believe you need to read the word and read the word and read the word and you need to confess the word and you need to stand on the word and you need to declare the word. Most of your problems are your sinful flesh. We have to fight the flesh. I have to fight the flesh. You cannot give in to the flesh. You are a believer. You're born again. You have the power to turn the clicker when the, when the most provocative advertisement comes on. If you don't, you're enjoying your flesh. And don't, don't wonder why you'd watch pornography. You watch pornography because you, you soak yourself in filth and you don't turn the channel. I'm not trying to hurt anybody's feelings. I'm trying to tell you, you have the power. We have been born again to raise heaven. We have to start with ourselves. Our society is a mess because the church is not disciplined and not really following Jesus. Just going to church, it's not going to change your society if you're still watching junk on TV. The more I do for Jesus... The closer I get to Jesus, the less things I do that I used to do. He, he has held me accountable. He said, don't watch. The, I started watching a movie. I'm a guy. I live in America. I like to watch action movies. But he won't let me anymore. And for, for a while, I fought that. And I just watched him anyways. But he, 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 he just wrecked me with his presence. 
And I would rather enjoy the Lord's fellowship than the action hero on, on, on TV or in a movie. And I just challenge you to think about what you're doing. How many times have you been watching a show and your kid comes in and you get mad at the kid because they interrupted your show? That is your flesh. It's not the kid's problem. If you, if you got mad at your wife, it's not your wife's problem. It's your problem. Repent. Repent. Be holy as I am holy. That's what the Lord says. And it, he always says it must start in the house of God. I know, I know I'm, I'm sounding harsh right now, but I'm telling you, the devil is a liar. The devil constantly seduces us and, and draws us into things we shouldn't have anything to do with. If you're driving down the road and the music is on and there's some ungodly song playing, push the button, turn the channel. You literally, when I say you, I include myself. When, when a person is doing ungodly things, you attract demons. Now, whether you believe this or not, it's true. I'm an evangelist, so I go to drug houses and I talk to prostitutes and I talk to drug dealers. They're my friends. Because it's my job to win them for Christ. So I go to this drug house. There's a coffee table. It's covered with marijuana. There's thousands, over $10,000. They told me it was over $10,000. It was just a pile of money. And there was a machine gun against the wall. And there was handguns all over the place. And when I knock on the door to come in, the guy opens a door and a handgun is pointed at my belly. And I walk in. And before I walk in, I say, Lord, they're going to offer me a drink. And I'm going to drink it. And I'm going to trust you that it really is Coke. Because I always tell them, give me some pop. I'm not drinking whatever they're drinking, okay? But I drink it in faith. Because they could spike it out of fun for them. We have to be so godly that the enemy fears us. So the main drug dealer in Muncie, he calls me and he says, one of my prostitutes is having a mental breakdown. Because the boy, that, the man that slept with her, beat her up. So they call me. And I go over and I pray for her and I counsel her. And I lead her to Christ and I take her through inner healing and I pray for her and she gets freed up and she calms down and the panic attack is over. We had a Bible study in a drug house and the, the craziness of that statement, at one o'clock there'd be a sign on the door, Bible study from one to two. So people would come in, people would not really pay attention to the sign and they'd come in and like, I need some marijuana. They're like, sorry, we're, we're not open for business right now. We're having Bible study with Pastor Bob. And they would swear. And then they would, oh, they would look at me and apologize. And I'd say, you don't have to apologize to me. You're going to hell. You can swear all you want. I said, if you're convicted, you can get saved right now and repent. And they're like, I'm leaving. And they run out the door. Why, why play nice? Let's be real. 
So these two prostitutes that I'd been ministering to, they were not yet saved. They were driving down the road and they were coming to a green light. They were on a, a four-way road, a, a four-lane road, two lanes in each direction, crossing another road, two lanes in each direction. So basically four lanes, four lanes, right? And it's a green light for them. And they heard the audible voice of God say, stop. So this prostitute slams on the brakes and a car goes tearing through the red light, would have killed her if she wouldn't have stopped. So she came over and gave her life to Jesus. And that's when I started the Bible study in the drug house. Be bold for Jesus. In verse 25, Paul says, put away lying. Jesus called Satan a liar. Isn't that true? You remember that? He said, Satan is a father of lies. So those of you who lie regularly, I'm sorry. You may have accepted Jesus, but you're following Satan. If you're regularly lying, as a Christian, you're deceiving yourself. You're messed up and you need to repent right now. Just quietly say in your head, Lord, I'm sorry for lying and I renounce lying. Just do it in your head right now. I'm sorry for lying. I renounce lying. I want you to walk in freedom. Secondly, Paul says, be angry, but do not sin. Do you realize that when we get angry, and I've been there, when I was younger, I had a terrible temper by the grace of God. It took me a while, but I got free of it. But when we get angry, we blame other people. It's never my fault. You know, Sylvia did it wrong, and I'm angry at her. My kids did it wrong, and I'm angry at them. My coworker did it wrong, and I'm angry at them. But that's a complete lie. I'm the one hollering. I'm wrong. Paul says, be angry, but do not sin. So I'm sorry, you're going to have to deal with me for a few more minutes. Um, so if you've been angry unnecessarily with your spouse or your children or your coworker in your head right now, just say, Lord, I'm sorry for being angry. I renounce being angry. Just say it in your head. I'm sorry for being angry. I renounce being angry. So now I'm going to tell you as a Christian, how do you be angry and not sin? Everybody's probably wondering, well, how do I do that? What I've learned is to say, Sylvia, when you're saying that, I feel like you're not listening to me. I feel like you don't understand. You can say to your children, I'm sorry I got angry, but I, I just feel like when, when you don't listen to me, that you're not respecting me. So you talk about how you feel. This is making me feel frustrated. It takes a lot of grace and patience and humility to say what I just said, to say, Sylvia, when you talk about that, it hurts my feelings. And I... I, can't, I, I don't know what to say, so that's why I was hollering before, but I'm sorry. Does that make sense? I hope it makes sense. I hope that helps you. Paul goes on to say, don't steal. Don't be bitter. Don't speak evil of others. Don't gossip, but be tenderhearted, forgiving, and loving. We have to be very intentional to raise heaven. And I want to say something about speaking evil of people. One time, as a pastor, my elders really irritated me. And so I was complaining to Sylvia about it. And on Sunday morning, when I got to church, I was 
greeted by the elder that I was frustrated with. And guess what happened? He said, were you talking about me this week? I, I felt like you were talking about me. And so I lied. I lied and I said, no, I wasn't talking about you. It's weird that you thought that. I'm sorry. I'm, I'm being real, okay? We have all gotten angry at people and said bad things about them. So Sylvia and I developed a policy. If, if we unintentionally blurt out some mean thing about somebody, the other one of us will say, wait, you can't talk like that. We don't do that. So then I will say, Lord, we have to first repent to the Lord. So Lord, I'm sorry for speaking evil of my elders. And then we, make this, we made the deal. We will say three positive things. So I can't say their names in, on public, so I don't know if this is going to go on the airwaves. But so-and-so, I got to say three good things. They are good, godly people. They are great hosts. They are great cooks. They tithe to the church. They are good Christian people. So I've just confirmed and affirmed them, okay? So I repent to God because I spoke out about what I was irritated about, and now I'm blessing them with three sentences, okay? I want to encourage you to do that. If you find yourself speaking evil of your coworker, whether they're saved or not, of your parents, of your children, your teacher, whoever it is that you get frustrated with, bless and do not curse. That's how we raise heaven. That's how we change our lives. That's how we become better people. So we want to show love to people. We have to be very intentional to raise heaven. Here's some more practical, godly tips to be a blessing in Columbus, Indiana. It's really funny. I have to say Indiana because when I first met Jana, I thought she, she said, I'm from Columbus. Well, you think of Columbus, Ohio. Maybe you don't hear, but when you live in Muncie, you think of Columbus, Ohio, because that's the big city. Anyways, um, I thought it was funny, because I was telling people I was speaking in Columbus, Ohio, and she's like, why are you going there? <laughs> well, as you can see, I didn't go there. I came here. But here's some practical suggestions to raise heaven in Columbus, Indiana. Carry some money in one of your pockets and give it to homeless people. When you go out to eat, which many people do on Sundays, tip generously. I have, I have had waitresses in my church and they're like, I hate working Sunday because the Christians come in and they don't tip very good. That's a terrible reputation. Maybe the ones in Columbus are much better, but in Muncie there's a bad reputation. So Sylvia and I try to outdo, outdo ourselves. And we, you know, we, we, we always want to be generous when we're, if we, we, we always said, and when we were young, young married, we could barely afford our life, let alone eat out. And so we made a policy. We've made policies, okay? I guess that's how we've helped be better people. We made policies. If we can't afford to tip generously, we won't go out to eat. Or you can go to a fast food where you don't tip. But if you're going to sit down then be willing to tip. People always need help moving, and us guys hate that. We hate, we hate helping everybody that has to move. It's, it's, it's hard. But I just want to challenge us guys to do it anyways. 
Do it anyways. And do it with a smile. A lot of times, uh, some older people need rides to appointments. Volunteer to help them. Don't say, oh gosh, Mary's calling me again. Don't, don't, don't curse her when she calls. Humble yourself. You know it's on your caller ID. You know she's going to ask you for a ride. Smile before you say, hello, Mary. And I'm not, if there's a Mary in here, I'm sorry. I'm not picking on you. I, I just, I'm just throwing out a name. Um, I encourage you to visit shut-ins. As a pastor, one of the things we do is go to nursing homes and hospitals and we visit people. And their number one complaint, I don't know if it's in Columbus, but in Muncie, the number one complaint is my family never comes to see me. So if you have a loved one in a hospital or a nursing home, please, please visit them. Back in the day, it was really normal for people to take pies and bread to their neighbors. These days, with the way people live, they don't even know who their neighbors are. Maybe you do. If you know your neighbor, you're a better person than a lot of other people. But bless them. Make some extra cookies. Make a loaf of bread. Make a lasagna. Whatever. Bless your neighbors. That's what, hospitality is one of the number one things that Christians can do to improve their witness. Invite people into your home. When I was growing up, that was normal. Sunday, you would have a family or two families over to your house for lunch. People now go out to eat and they spend outrageous amounts of money. And it's just, you know, it's 30% up now. It's cost you more, 30% more this year to go out to eat than it did last year. So why not make a lasagna and invite a family over for lunch? Build the fellowship. There's a day coming where, where the one world government will kick in. They'll close our churches. We're going to have to go underground more or less. I've been telling my people we got to start home groups. we gotta, we got to find six friends because during COVID, only six people were allowed to come to your house. Who are your six friends that if they would close us down again, that you could continue to fellowship and pray together? We need to build more relationships within our church. Make an effort when you come to church to get to know somebody you don't know. Um, I was going around shaking hands, and I got to know Brian back there. He rides, he rides a Harley. He's been coming here for a while. I'm sorry if I'm telling, you, telling on you, brother, but you're the, you're the one that talked to me the most, so I'm, I'm telling a story. I try, to, I try to practice what I preach, so I, I was trying to get to know a few people this morning. Okay, now I'm going to hit home. We're almost done here. Then I'm going to pray for healing. But in our families, we have to go to the second mile. TV and the internet has taken too much of our time. We, we, my kids are grown and now, I, now I'm helping my grandchildren do their homework. But parents, please, parents, please read with your younger children. Spend time with them doing homework with them. Make it, make it fun. Make it a family thing. Believe in your children. Empower them. Play table games with your children. Husbands and wives, play table games with each other. Don't just watch TV and play on Facebook and the Instagram. Spend real quality time with your family and with your spouse if you don't have kids at home. 
We need to get back to these things that are so, so better. During COVID, <clears throat> Sylvia and I started playing Scrabble, and, and we had this, this competition going on. We would, we would play. Um, um, it, <clears throat> it was like each week was a tournament, and we'd see who would win the most times during, during that week, those seven days. And then we, had, we got some toy crowns. And then at the end of the week, whoever won more games than the other person would put the crown on and we'd take pictures and say Queen Sylvia this week and King Bob next week. It was just so much fun. Um, but I just encourage you, figure out what works for your family and go for walks, go for drives, uh, build your relationship. Actually talk to each other. We need to speak life and not speak death. To raise heaven, we need to speak life. I think I've said enough about that already, but I want to, I want to just state that. In closing, I, will, I want to take you through a prayer of forgiveness and breaking ungodly soul ties and breaking vows. I have learned so much from, from doing inner healing and deliverance ministry this last year. We've We've ministered to over 100 people in our home, um, and 80% of the people we've met have been seriously hurt by mostly family and close friends. It's really sad how people grow up and they get, they get abused one way or another. I know, personally, I know three people that their, their family and fr friends lock them into closets. One guy was locked into a freezer, and... I don't know what's happened to you, and I, I'm not presuming you've been through that kind of trauma, but have you ever met somebody and they talk about a bad thing that happened to them 10 years ago? Maybe it was a divorce, maybe it was a, a fire, maybe it was a, a, they got fired from a job, maybe it was a house fire, but if you hear people talk about something that happened 10 years ago, they're stuck there. Maybe that's you, and I've learned that we need to choose to forgive people that have hurt us. And we need to break the ungodly soul ties. And God can bring healing into your life. I hear stories all the time about um, people that go through divorce and they're just, they're just so wounded by that. And God wants to heal you. And I've heard people say, I will never let a man do that to me again. Or I will never let a woman do that to me again. That's a vow. And the Bible tells us not to make those kind of vows. Because we're taking God out of the equation. We need to believe that God wants to bring healing and restoration. So, <clears throat> I just want to lead you through a prayer. And um, if it doesn't apply to you, you don't have to say that part. But uh, I encourage you just to do it. Um, I'm, I can almost guarantee that everybody needs to forgive somebody. I don't, probably not everybody needs to break a vow that they made. But... Um, my, my mother was, she died a couple years ago, but she was really, really, really outgoing. And it was embarrassing to be around her because we, we would go to eat and, you know, from, from 40 feet away, she would holler for the waitress to come over. And I'm like, Mom, don't do that. Wait till she comes, then you can talk to her. Well, I'm hungry. I'm like, <laughs> so I made a vow that I would never be like my mom. But when you make a vow, you actually inadvertently do some of the things that you vowed you would never do. It's, it's, you actually tie yourself to it. And so I have been known to blurt some dumb things out. 
And when, when a preacher preached this sermon that you're hearing, I, I, I realized that I'd made a vow. And so I repented, and I literally felt like a demon left. And just to clarify, because somebody asked in the seminar yesterday, how can a good Christian and even a preacher have a demon? Well, demons are on the outside of you. They're, it's not controlling me, but they can influence you. When you hear negative thoughts in your head, that's a demon speaking to you. That's not your thought. You're not saying you can't do that. You're not good enough. That's the devil saying that, okay? <clears throat> so I just wanted to explain that. And we have the power to, to cast things out, but we have to be aware of it. And I believe some of you will find some freedom just by praying this. So right now, just close your eyes and just say, Lord, who do I need to forgive? Just say that in your head. Who do I need to forgive? There's probably a couple of people that just popped into your head. So this is who that's going to apply to. So everybody say together, Father, I repent for making vows, saying I will never let someone do that to me again. And I choose to forgive all the people who hurt me and for all the mean things they did and said to me. I rip up all the debts they owe me and I place them at the foot of the cross and I break all ungodly soul ties with them and all the parts of me that they took I take back and all the parts of them I kept I give back. I release them to you, Jesus. I bind and cast out the spirit of trauma in Jesus' name. Lord, set me free. Heal my heart and restore my soul and fill me, Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Everybody take a big breath and blow it out. Just put your hand up if you feel some freedom. All over the room, people are putting their hands up. So thank God. It's under the blood. So thank you for letting me come today. I'm going to pray for healing. I told you a couple of stories about healing. If anybody uh, has testimonies, come well, well, I'm praying for people. Come tell Donna and uh, Andy that you got healed. Otherwise, if you want more prayer, come on up and I'll pray for you. And I don't know if we can put a little bit of music on, not too loud. Just come on up if you need prayer for any physical healing. You've been listening to the teaching ministry of Blessed Life Fellowship. For more teaching and ministry resources, go to the church website at www.blessedlifefellowship.org. Thanks for listening, and may God's grace and favor shine on you.